morning. It's so good to see each and every one of you as we gather in as God's people. We're glad you're here today. Not sure what's going on in this section right here, but if you guys over here want to come over a little bit, there's a room here. Uh, but we're just kind of spread out a little bit. You got, yeah, that's right. Uh, but we are so glad that you are here. We give God thanks for you and are glad for this time to celebrate the wonder and majesty of God. We have friendship pads. It may be hard to pass right here, but they can be passed other places. They simply are ways to greet each other, welcome each other, and know each other by name. And we hope that you know how much we are glad that you are here and that we want to know you and welcome you personally. Yesterday, I joined with about 1,400 other Lexingtonians on a charity walk. It was for the Shepherd's House, a faith-based recovery uh, place for people fighting addiction, uh, mostly drug and alcohol addictions, uh, and a recognition of the terrible opioid crisis and the 1,400 Kentuckians that lost their life last year uh, because of those types of problems. So we were on our way uh, through this 5K, which is about 3.4 miles, and maybe halfway through, I noticed a gentleman who was also making the walk who was smoking. <laughs> and as he did this charity walk, he continued with his cigarette, and then when he finished it, he put it out and then ran on uh, with his friend to complete the race. So this is what it said to me. Addiction is a really hard thing to master. And sometimes you can only fight one addiction at a time. And that we are all addicted in multiple ways. Things that we might be able to name or things that we are attached to that we are not even aware of our deep attachment to them. And that this action of trying to fight the addictiveness of life and live into the greater, freer calling of grace that God has for us is a slow process. It takes a lifetime to get non-attached to all those things that may not be in our best interest so that we can live to our higher and greater interest, which is the love, mercy, and power of God. And so worship is a way for us to begin that slow process of readjusting who we are and realigning ourselves with the grace and goodness of God. To know that you are fine just as you are. That God loves you and cares for you exactly as God has made you. And that you don't need anything else. Even those things that the world tells us may give us fulfillment or happiness ultimately can prove to be unsatisfactory. And maybe we can give up one and then we get a little bit of mastery in order to give up another and another and another until our hearts are made pure and made clean and made new. It's taken me a long time to appreciate the deep grace of God that I'm only beginning to understand in minute proportions. May you know that grace as we worship in truth and in spirit today.
Good morning. Please stand and join me in the call to worship. Come and worship all you who love and serve our God. God cares for the humble and lowly and never abandons those in need. This is our God. join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day and the opportunity to worship together. We're grateful for the blessings we share with each other. Help us to remember that you have us in your hand and there's nothing we can't conquer together. In your name, amen. Now we ask that you please pass the peace and welcome those around you. Our Christian witness is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. For the word of God that works its way into us. Thanks be to God. We've taken some time over the past few weeks to uh, write down on the boards in the front uh, here on either side places that we have seen the Spirit of God working in us, among us, and beyond us. And we're going to offer a time for us to do that again this morning, uh, perhaps in the prayer that we're going to sing together uh, in a little bit, or uh, during the offertory hymn, or even during the offertory, if you'd like to come down and write something down. Uh, and leave that on the board. It's a way for us to be able to share with one another the places that we have seen uh, God at work. Uh, also, if you'd just like to come and look at it, you're welcome to do that. Or if you'd rather do that during the uh, after service is over, uh, you're always welcome to come up and, uh, and view these or use these as uh, part of your worship uh, together uh, this morning. Uh, but uh, the, the gospel lesson for today is a familiar passage it includes the Lord's Prayer in Luke. And so this morning, uh, as our prayer together, we're going we're gonna to sing this together. It's going to be a participatory song, so I'm going to invite you to sing a refrain uh, that we'll learn here right now. Here's how it goes. As it is. Why don't you try it with me? As it is in heaven. Where there's hunger, bring food to eat. As it is. As it is. As it is, 
Let's pray together, please. Dear God, in every corner of our lives, in every moment, in every good moment, every bad moment, every scared moment, every courageous moment, every not-so-courageous moment, your presence is there with us. We don't have the words to express our gratitude for that, and yet maybe we can express it better by looking harder for it, especially looking for it in the eyes of people who are in need, looking for it in the lives of people who are being rejected, who are being asked to be less than they are. We pray, God, that you will keenly sharpen our senses to your presence, and especially keenly sharpen our senses to your presence with others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
from the news of the weekend, you may have noticed an update about a recent law passed by the 2019 Kentucky General Assembly and signed into law this past March, mandating that for this new school year, all public elementary and secondary schools will place the words, in God we trust, in a prominent place where it can be seen daily by all students. As a person of faith, I am deeply connected and committed to the sentiment expressed in this, our national motto, in God we trust. It forms the basis for my best decisions, behaviors, and hopes for the world. I have been enriched, enriched beyond measure, in consideration of this higher source for truth, love, mercy, and justice that I have personalized in the God revealed through the Hebrew and Christian scriptures. I am deeply invested in these four simple words. But apart from concerns about sorting out the proper balance of church and state in the First Amendment and the infringement possible when we overlap them to much. I am also deeply concerned how this life-giving invitation is cheapened to be nothing more than an instrument of civic pride rather than a transforming guidance. The questions I have for our state legislatures who voted in favor of this mandate concerns their intent. What are they hoping to accomplish? What problems were they hoping to remedy in the expenditures of critical funds necessary to obey this law? In what direction are they hoping to take our public schools? Because all language about God is essentially metaphorical and really can mean anything we want it to mean. For many people, Money is their God, or political power, so much so that it doesn't mean how you go about getting something done or who you have to destroy in the process as long as you are successful in what you intend to do. Rock music can be your God, or classical music, or techno-punk music. Science can be your God. For the sarcastically driven Pastafarians, yes, that's a thing. Pastafarians believe God is a flying spaghetti monster. And from a purely logical vantage point, you might argue that whomever or whatever that you place your ultimate trust in is accurately your God. So the motto, in God we trust, might be a, a circular argument with very le little legitimate meaning. Of course you will trust in that, which is your God. That's the definition of what it means to have a God in whom you trust. 
What do you do with the student who might say, my God is myself in whom I completely trust? Without stepping on the toes of the constitutional protections of individual conscience and the freedom of religious or non-religious expressions. Theologian Lynn Japinga wrote, language about God should help us to understand and encounter God. We should not confuse the reality of God with the limits of our language. The great name of God needs more than just being reduced to a motto. And slapping the divine and the divine name onto something doesn't automatically make it holy. Just yesterday, we were with this other couple and we passed a sign in the front yard of a church in Lexington advertising an old-fashioned Baptist tent revival. Everyone in the car, including my lovely Catholic wife, looked at me and asked, What's that? I said, I think it has something to do with shouting and a plea to confess Christ. And that's a good thing. I mean the confession, not the shouting. Can you really confess Christ, Jesus as Lord and Savior, and ignore his plea for the hungry, the sick, the stranger, the imprisoned, and the immigrant? Can you really confess Jesus and hold on to your heart of pride and condemnation rather than seeking a heart of humility and forgiveness? Can you confess Jesus and believe one race or one nation or one economic and imperial system is superior to all others? Statements of faith are important, but they are the beginning point of faith formation, not their final destination. What we confess with the lips is a door that leads to a far greater challenge, a confession evidenced by the living of our lives. For when we are talking about God, as revealed in the Holy Bible, a body of work we might argue and conclude is available to us to address just how much religious language is necessary and important for us to accurately discern the ways of God, we discover there are things there best to remember. Like, trusting God means we are not to trust completely in wealth or bank accounts flush with cash. Jesus revealed in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 
Doesn't trusting God require us also to not trust as much as we seem the vast military industrial complex? You know, U.S. military expenditures are roughly the size of the next seven largest military budgets around the world combined. Take how much we commit as a society to military spending and then go to number two, who I believe is China, and number three is Saudi Arabia, and then on down the line to four, five, and six, uh, Great Britain, um, France, um, Israel, Russia. Combine all of what those folks spend, two through eight, and get a total, and now we are here at what we commit as a country to the world's security as we define it. Doesn't that fly in the face of Psalms 20, Psalm 27? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What about Isaiah's greater vision in verse 4 of chapter 2? Where faithful people work together to prepare a future where swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Where nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither will we learn war anymore. Doesn't trusting God ask for us to trust other things not as much? And what is your image of God anyway? If I ask you to imagine God, what would be the first picture that pops into your mind? Would God be an old white man in the heavens? Well, that's an image that comes from medieval Europe, not holy scriptures. For God is neither male nor female. And a careful reading of Genesis 1, 26, 27 implies that within God's own character and self, we can describe those things that are both masculine and feminine. And that the image of God begins to break down gender-specific roles. Like a seamstress, it is God who clothes Adam and Eve in the garden. It is God who serves the food for the Hebrews in the desert with mammon from heaven. Ruth 2.12 and other passages in the Psalms describe God like a mother bird providing shelter and protection under her wings. Elsewhere, God is described as a midwife or a woman nursing her baby or a mother comforting her children. Jesus tells that story of the desperate widow to illustrate God's deep love and frantic search for the lost. In Luke chapter 15. And if we think it's all sugar and spice. Hosea 3.8 describes God like a mother bear. Robbed of her cubs who will protect them. And utterly destroy anyone or anything that threatens them. 
We sang a beautiful hymn today. All the different ways in which we can conceptually think of the power and majesty of God. But God cannot be reduced to one single image. Therefore, we need a diversity of images and language to truly describe something as grand and great as the God in whom we trust. And here's the theological take-home point. When our images of God are inclusive of the length, breadth, and depth of the whole of humanity made in God's image, rather than isolated into a sliver of it, then we begin to understand the holy implications of how we treat one another is a reflective of how we actually treat God's own self. I deeply desire to trust God, but I fear this recent action of our state leaders is a shameful display of merely pandering to the name of God without any sincere attempt to more accurately or sincerely honor the manifested clear revelation of God. Maybe this could be a conversation starter for some of you. Most likely student to student, student to teacher, teacher to teacher. But most unlikely teacher to student unless you're asked a specific question. And if you need to, you can always point them to me as they seek a better understanding of God. So there might be an evangelical opportunity for those who are considerate and wise in this language about God. And I don't want to be too hasty with those who are seeking to lead our state in leadership. For I'm guessing in part their intent may have been a desire to teach kids respect. Respect for something higher and nobler and more competent than themselves, something more permanent in who they can place their lives and their destiny. I'm sure there was some noble intentions in mandating this statement. But most of us know down deep how we best learn from what is modeled in front of us by our authority figures rather than just following what they say. If we really want to instill within our young people integrity and respect for others, it does not come from lip service to a motto and stay there. It comes from a community of teachers and leaders who will make sure they don't lift themselves up by beating others down, who won't tolerate bullying and won't use their power to protect the already powerful, who appreciate and understand how we treat others, especially the vulnerable or the weird or the one we believe is radically different or all the others who we would judge as outsiders as we treat them with kindness, compassion, and understanding, we will, in fact, create that special climate of human respect and dignity for all persons. Finally, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who confess his lordship and saving power for the world, 
There is one special place he guaranteed we would see the face of the divine. His face found in the least of these. You want to trust God? Great! Lift up the poor. Welcome the stranger. Be fair to all without prejudice. Remember the overlooked and the unpopular. Reconcile the enemy. Love the unlovable. Do this, and you will live. This grand way of life is only possible through the Christ who works in us and through us. It does begin with confession, a confession that we want to blend our lives in with his and allow his power then to help work its way through us so that we might be even more than we are now. For indeed, God loves us as we are, but is not content to leave us where we are and is always moving us to a greater sense of wholeness for ourselves and for our world. And so we conclude each service with an opportunity to take on this Christ as Christ takes on us. To accept him, to live in him, and to allow him to live in us. If you would like to respond to this grand call of good faith, we welcome you to do so. You may do so privately, but you also may do so publicly by coming here among this good group of loving Christians to say, I want this life to be my life. I would seek to be baptized in the name of the Jesus who calls me, and I seek to follow in his way as a disciple. And if you wish to make that your calling, then I invite you to make that decision public. Or perhaps you need a place to be church, a place to live out this calling with others alongside after you've already made that decision and you're just looking for a new community of faith. We welcome you. And again, use this time as a time to make that pledge before others. Perhaps you have a special call of service or prayer. I stand forward to receive you as you now stand and sing hymn 13, The Mighty God with Power Speaks. Let us stand and sing.
few announcements before you leave today, uh, this week. Please stop by the sign-up table so you can sign up for things like our knitting for beginners that will happen on Wednesday afternoon. Also, next Saturday is a writer's workshop. If you love to write or are interested in getting started writing, uh, I suggest that you talk to Aaron Austin. I think he's out in the foyer waiting for you. And sign up for that so that you can attend a writer's workshop next Saturday. Also, there's a couple of pool parties coming up for our children and our youth uh, before school starts. We can get some uh, out of the hot sun and relax a little bit more before all of that gets started. Also, uh, there's going to be a box. Right now, it's full of clothes that are going to be uh, going somewhere this week, but there's a box outside of the office. We're going to be collecting school supplies for Squires Elementary and Lafayette High School. There's a list of those in your bulletin right here. Uh, but there's also a lot of school supplies that aren't on that list that maybe you find uh, in the store that's cheap or on sale and you can buy a lot of. Please do that and bring those. That will go to help a lot of the students that uh, can't afford those supplies. Also, it will help the teachers replenish their classrooms throughout the year. Are there any other announcements? Okay. Now will you stand for the benediction? As you go from this place, may you rest assured that you are created in the image of God, made to serve one another, work for justice, and share God's love to the world. May you go in peace. Amen. <laughs>